Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We tape Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. Discover Lafayette is also made possible with the support of Home Bank, who wants to ensure that you protect your identity and your assets. When you make a payment with a paper check, you're handing over all of your personal or business information, plus your bank account number. While you may find an occasional reason to write a check, when possible, choose to pay with cash, debit, or credit cards, or with your phone's mobile wallet to stay ahead of identity thieves and protect your finances. Learn more at home24bank.com. Home Bank, member FDIC. Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital also makes this podcast possible. A physician-owned hospital, Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital is known for its advanced treatment options and innovative technologies, which provide patients with the most comprehensive care available in every department. From simple exploratory procedures to robotics-assisted surgery, their physicians are dedicated to implementing low-impact, minimally invasive methods that are at the cutting edge of medical science. Experience the difference in care at Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital. Our guest today is J.P. McFadden, Executive Director of Moncus Park since August 2021. Previously, J.P. served the park as Operations Director for two years, overseeing construction and developing processes and procedures for daily operations. J.P. has a degree in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Notre Dame and an MBA with a concentration in Operations from the University of Houston. Along with decades of operational management and product execution, J.P., interestingly, I love this part, he also worked as a space shuttle flight coordinator for NASA. I can't wait to hear about this. In 2005, he moved to Lafayette with his wife, Michelle, and their four children. The family then opened Great Harvest Bread Company, the first green certified restaurant in the state of Louisiana. JP, I've looked forward to this interview to allow you to share not only the story of Moncus Park, but there's so many improvements that have been made in the last year. And I find that you have this unique background that makes it even more interesting. <laughs> Thank you for taking time to join us. Thanks, Jan. No, happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, excited for the, today. I knew of you, <laughs> and we really just met, but I didn't know your background. So if you can maybe, before we start about the wonderful park, I'm such a big fan of Moncus Park, tell us your journey and how you ended up as executive director. Right. It's been, it has definitely been a strange journey. And I think my, uh, <laughs> My overall theme is when, when the path seems most clear, that's when I say, no, nah, let's try the other road. Mm -hmm. um, so really out of, uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh and went to Notre Dame, uh, mechanical engineer because I was good in math and science. Mm -hmm. uh, no, never had met an engineer, didn't know any engineers, um, you know, from family, friends or, or relatives or whatnot, um, but was told, yeah, you should definitely be an engineer. And when I uh, graduated, 
I was looking for jobs in operations because I knew I didn't want to do design work mm -hmm. and stumbled upon a, um, a job listing for Rockwell International and had no idea. I thought it was going to be in the Midwest making parts for some, you know, some kind of manufacturing operation. It turned out they were interviewing specifically for um, space shuttle flight operations at uh, Mission Operations Director at Johnson Space Center in wow. Houston. Never had been to Texas. Never had even been in the South. How old were you? Um, I was like right out of college. So 21. Like 21, 22, yeah. somewhere in there. So, um, and not really much of a space kid either. Um, and most of the folks that go work there, you know, that's all they've yeah. ever wanted to do is be an astronaut, right? So... Um, but here's what got me is I went there in March I left South Bend in a snowstorm and I arrived in Houston and it was just some gorgeous weather. Oh my God. That's the best time of year before <laughs> right. it gets hot, right? That in October. <laughs> yeah. So, um, ended up in, ended up in Houston, ended up at Johnson space center and spent the early part of my career, uh, working as a, um, rocket scientist actually. Gosh. I mean, that's so. what people dream to be, though. Not just an astronaut, <laughs> but, you know, people say you're smart enough to be a rocket scientist. And I, I have a T-shirt somewhere in my house that says, why, yes, I am a rocket scientist. <laughs> my kids give me a hard time about that. Yeah. Um, but we supported We supported that you, you've seen Apollo 13 or any of the old, uh, or even now, if you happen to watch NASA TV, there's a room with a bunch of folks, and everybody in that room has a sp specific uh, specialty. So my, the specialty that I worked was called uh, onboard propulsion. So it was the deorbiting rockets um, mm -hmm. and also the thruster jets that changed the attitude of the space shuttle once it was up there. Wow. So, so math really <laughs> yeah, had to math be front and, and center. Really, yeah. Yeah. Engineers yeah. fascinate me because I've, I've never been good really in math. It just, it doesn't come naturally. And thank goodness for software. I used to do real estate closing. So you had to balance every file to the, you know, to the right. penny, but that is high tech, uh, dangerous yeah. stuff. And, and, huh? and fun, you know, uh, this is going to date myself, but back in the day, I mean, high tech, this is, you know, this is before laptops, this or almost before laptops, certainly before tablets, certainly mm -hmm. before smartphones. Um, and everything was still paper. But after the abacus, you did come after yes, that. I yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, we had, the, I think it was a TI-35 or something at yeah. that point. Um, so everything was paper. So my first, uh, actually my first position there was, um, I was like, configuration control of checklists. So all the checklists, mm -hmm. all the books, everything that flew, I mean, their days are scripted from start to finish. Every one of those uh, checklists of everything they do has to be documented and tested and there's tons of training. So that, that was a big part of it. And then mm -hmm. I moved into the, um, the rocket side of things. Yeah. So. So you met your wife in Houston, Michelle. Right. So Michelle's a raging Cajun. Uh -huh. uh, she's she from Eunice. To, she was from Eunice. She went to. She's an electrical engineer. She okay. went to USL at uh -huh. the time, and yeah, we met at Johnson Space Center. It was a, during the return to flight from the Challenger accident. So uh -huh. lots of new hires at, when they revamped the program after the Challenger accident big uh, influx of college grads. Yeah. So it kind of felt like I was back on a college campus at Johnson yeah. Space Center. So Right. So what what was the impetus to move, you know, to move back for her? It was back home. Well, you know what I always say when you marry a Cajun. It's always it's not a question of when. It's only it's not a question of if, it's only a question mm -hmm. of when. So we we stayed we lived in Houston for a long time. I, I left um, 
the space center and had got an MBA at night school and then went off and worked for, at the time it was Anderson consulting turned to Accenture. And, and really that was, uh, my opportunity to work across many industries, mainly in process, uh, work yeah. for factories and, um, kind of concentration in, uh, planning and scheduling software mm -hmm. across lots of industries, some in Houston and then other parts of the country as well. And had our first child, and my wife decided she was going to be a stay-at-home mom, mm -hmm. at least for when, when we first had kids. I said, well, what if we try somewhere else? Knowing that we were probably going to end up in Louisiana, ultimately. We moved to Colorado and lived in Colorado, Colorado Springs. Springs. How beautiful. Yeah. Right. We lived in Colorado Springs for a bunch of years, worked mm -hmm. for a high-tech uh, firm out there right at the time of the mm -hmm. dot-com bubble burst. Um, and there was a lot of high-tech industry in Colorado Springs at the time with the uh, Air Force Academy out mm -hmm. there as well. And, you know, by then we had three kids and it was, she grew up with her best friends being her cousins in Eunice. So I was like, well, let's go home, get closer to family, mm -hmm. raise her, knowing that Lafayette would be a great place to raise kids. So yeah. my kids really were raised here. Some of them were born in other states, right. but most right. of them were raised here. Now you opened um, mm -hmm. Great Harvest Bread Company. Were you a baker? How, you know. <laughs> yeah. So when we, um, no, I wasn't. I, <laughs> my mother and my sister are great bakers. I didn't even know the difference between baking and cooking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought we kind there of is a difference. <laughs> all that together. Um, and fortunately, what I learned over the years was baking definitely leans more to the science side. Oh. Um, because once you start that recipe. You know, you just got to stick with it. There's mm -hmm. no like adjusting when it's in the oven. It's yeah. kind of, it is what it is. You got your checklist just like you did at NASA. That's, that's huh? right. Lots mm -hmm. of checklists, lots of formulas, temperatures. temperatures. Yep. It's all just like brewing beer. It's all, it's all mm -hmm. about fermentation. So uh -huh. um, it's in time temperature equation. So I did not know anything about baking and really. Did Michelle? No, we wanted to own a small business. Mm -hmm. That was the goal. And I had shopped at a great harvest in Colorado Springs. It's a very small franchise, about 200 stores across the country. And their uh, marketing is not really that it's a bakery. It's much more about being a freedom franchise. So the, 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 the originators of the franchise, I call them, they were, they were hippies that had baked their way through college, I think in Connecticut. And then went to Montana to become wheat farmers, and that didn't really work out for them. And they opened a bakery in Great Falls, Montana. Mm -hmm. One thing led to another, and it organically grew. Like where they were most compared to Panera. Yeah. And Panera yeah. is really, you know, in a corporate boardroom, somebody said, "What's the hot concept? Oh, bakery cafe should be the hot concept." And that's kind of the growth of Panera. Great Harvest was the exact opposite: a bunch of hippies that wanted to bake and. Um, it organically grew to 200, 250 stores. Mm -hmm. We were the first store in Louisiana and I had shopped, we had shopped one in uh, Colorado Springs because our oldest had all kinds of food allergies as a, oh. um, as a youngster. Uh -huh. It was the one place where we could go where it was simple ingredients. We knew exactly what we were getting. There was no, no egg, no soy, no dairy, all the things that he was allergic to. It was like, this is the base. And he wasn't allergic to wheat. So I was uh, thinking that's unusual, but he's yeah. not gluten intolerant. No, no gluten, just had no gluten problems. So uh -huh. um, we shopped at one, and I just thought it was it's Steve's delicious. Bakery. Yeah, and one thing led to another, mm -hmm. and when it was time to sort of think about moving back to uh, this, back to Louisiana, I said, I think I want to own my own business. So 
That, that was it? That was that. What's the deal with the first green certified restaurant? Because I've read that you and your wife had decided that your business pursuits should reflect your personal lives. Yeah, so this must be important right. to you. The yes. environment has always been right. important. The environment, sustainability has always been something that we cared about. And with this model of being a freedom franchise, other than the recipes and some of the marketing, mm -hmm. you were really free to do whatever worked for your store. So of course we did king cakes because that work it doesn't work in Chicago necessarily, mm -hmm. but it worked you know here. So we explored lots of different avenues, lots of different products. And one of the um, one of the thrusts that we were really interested in is being a sustainable small business. So mm -hmm. both in terms of um, the green, the green restaurant concept, you know, everything from recycling to what we purchase, what, what kind of materials we use. Utensils like the, um, right. No the, styrofoam, oh. um, everything being, you know, yeah. landfill friendly, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, lots of other pieces around just, you know, the way your utilities and, and, you know, there's a lot of different angle. There's, I think there were seven different categories that a third party, um, mm -hmm. company, sort of certified you against and right. we scored. And I think, you know, we started out as a C plus and made our way up to maybe an A minus or so, mm -hmm. something like that. So, mm -hmm. um, it's hard without having commercial, uh, composting to really get up into those higher end right. uh, scores like you could in some other, right. other places of the country. Well, you pivoted again though. You had <laughs> a great harvest and then, you landed was the next job right. at the, the park. Yeah, or was so I worked. I, we sold the business in eighteen, mm -hmm. and worked a couple years for the franchise as a small business uh, consultant, mm -hmm. and you know worked out of Lafayette, but traveled all over the country helping new uh, stores open. Mm -hmm. um, and it was fun, but it was not the same as owning your own store. And the franchise was going in a direction that I was like, this isn't really what I wanted to uh, represent. I was like, eh, it's time to find some. And my wife was like, you should stop traveling so much. Right, um, right. And I saw that there was a position open for operations director at Monkus Park. And I, you know, I had known about the parks that we moved here in 05, the same mm -hmm. year as Save the Horse Farm. And um, it w actually, Great Harvest was, we were, um, we were there the very first farmer's market oh. nine summers ago. Wow. Um, it's one of the first vendors. So mm -hmm. we, we were, when my wife and I owned the store, we were there almost every Saturday. So you loved it from oh, the beginning. Yeah. Loved, uh -huh. loved the horse farm, loved the farmer's market. Loved being out there on Saturday mornings and, uh, selling cinnamon rolls and, um, you know, just had a great time right. as part of the, you know, part of what Lafayette is now about on Saturday mm -hmm. morning, you say, well, what should I do? And you go, to, of course right. you go to the farmer's market. Yeah. So you really had that background though in operations, like you could, right. so and I that leaned, was when everything was starting to be built. Right. right. So really I leaned into the, you know, not only operations of running, um, the bakery, but you know, in prior, some prior lives mm -hmm. in terms of working in factories and planning and scheduling right. and, standard operating procedures and um, all those mm -hmm. sorts of things where it's just like, you know, to make it a repeatable process day in and day out, you, mm -hmm. you just can't wing it. Right. So at that point, mm -hmm. the park was just undergoing those, I guess my point, it was just undergoing these new improvements that we've seen come to fruition this year. You right, were there right. yeah. at the so best we were, time to make this you know, we had a, uh, we've had We had a few hiccups in terms of getting, you know, launching, I guess you could say. So, um, 
you know, it first went under construction for what we call phase one, which, you know, I call the terraforming phase, which was moving all the dirt to make the lake, to make all the hills, put in all the um, trails and the landscaping, 500 plus trees, mm-hmm. parking lot. Um, but the majority of that, and the only real amenity besides the beauty of the, the space was that we had a small dog park. And we're kind of getting close to open and then COVID and there yeah. was talks of, you know, we should add some more things. Um, but during that all, all that time as we were thinking about opening, it was like, okay, what we got to run a park. What's it going to be like to run a park? What does mm-hmm. that mean? Both from a ground standpoint, an event standpoint, programming. So, mm-hmm. um you know, first I said, well, it's just a park. It can't be that complicated. But there's a lot There's a lot to an urban park to activate a park, to make mm-hmm. it a place that people want to visit. Right. Which is what makes it a little different than just sort of like a passive city park. Nothing against any city park. No, but just like means. it's not just a grassy field. I, I was always surprised when we're going to talk about EB in a minute, but mm-hmm. when I learned how much goes on underground. I mean, you had to plan for the future, and that's where a lot of the real money goes in. <laughs> right, yeah. It's so, invisible, though, to right, us. Right, it's totally invisible. But the reality of uh, when you take a green space that used to be horticulture, just it was a horse farm and dairy farm even right. before that, there, there's no sewer lines, there's no electrical lines, there's no nothing. So mm-hmm. all of that infrastructure that you can't see allows future growth. And the right. time to do it is... At the beginning. Early. And it costs millions and millions right. and millions. Right. Yeah. So you must have enjoyed that, though. Yeah. Being well, there it's been early fun on. To, yeah. and, and then to be part of, you know, really, we're, we're about to start into our third, called the third phase of construction. So mm-hmm. being part of, and, and uh, kind of my engineering background kind of kicks in on all, right. the, all the project planning and project management work. And well, I want to get into that, JP. Yeah. I really am ready for you to jump into the park and what's been open this year for some people. I don't know. There must be some that haven't been there yet, but want to go. But I'd like to, we, we pause and reflect back in each interview at a past um, person that we had on that's relevant to this story. And I chose E.B. Brooks. And of course, she was your, your boss for right. a while. And the young woman with the drive and passion that actually ran the Save the Horse Farm, along with her friend, Danica Adams. And E.B. was the first executive director at Moncus Park. So I thought her voice would be interesting along with yours. And I want to thank FACET, a career coaching and talent management firm, for making this moment possible. FACET has helped the employees of hundreds of companies improve performance, find or move into their right position, or change careers. FACET can help your organization improve both the analytical and interpersonal sides of your business. Worry less, facet more. For more information, visit facetgroup.com. And now the moment with E.B. Brooks. Started taking community sustainability classes at UL, and believe it or not, UL Lafayette had this amazing program headed by Dr. Blakewood. And so my senior year, that was 2005, Danik and I were both in one of Dr. Blakewood's classes, and it was called Community-Based Planning. And Danica had actually lived on the horse farm property the previous year, And so we were all just, you know, we had taken lots of classes out there, but obviously knew it as Danica's backyard. And they actually, the university asked her to move out and didn't have anybody else move in. So it was kind of fishy. But Mm -hmm. um, three months later, in the middle of this community-based planning class, Dr. Blakewood came in with this newspaper, slammed it on the desk and said, they're going to develop the horse farm. And so we immediately burst into tears and got all emotional about it because it's obviously one of the most beautiful last pieces of like intact landscape Mm -hmm. in the middle of town. 
So, and for people that may not know, if they have moved away from Lafayette, this is right by Red Rails. Oh, it's yeah. right at South College, um, the Bertrand intersection. It's smack dab in the it middle. It really of is, especially with the way Lafayette's grown south. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's crazy in the middle of, of town. So, it's an amazing opportunity. So. We basically focused the whole class on kind of launching this campaign. Immediately, we had a web designer in the class that put together a web page for us. We went and bought the domain name. I went and ordered yard signs mm-hmm. from, you know, this, you know, kind of, I don't know, political sign guy. And um, we had actually just started recycling at Festival Acadien at Creole for the organization that I was a president of called Speak, which was the environmental club on campus. Mm-hmm. And they paid us $1,000 to do the recycling. <gasps> oh, yeah. Well, it was a dirty job, so it was worth oh. the money. But we had this $1,000 that we could go buy yard signs and bumper stickers and buy this website. So we actually had the seed funding to get this thing going. So it was really beautiful that it just kind of all came together. What an exciting time. It though, was. Because there was no question about your motives. You just were trying to, save to do the what trees. you could to yeah. save the trees. Yeah. And you know what, Jan? The other important thing was that this was right when 2005, fall of 2005, right when MySpace and uh, Facebook were coming online. Mm-hmm. So we were probably, I mean, I would air to say that we're on the side of probably the very first campaign that used social, social media. media in Lafayette, for sure. Maybe, you know, kind of one of the early adopters throughout the state um, and the country. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette with J.P. McFadden. So let's jump in and talk about whatever you want to about the park, because I know you said you're on the third phase now, but it seems like this year we're here at the end of 2022. So many things it's been have a, sprung up. It's been a big year. Uh, I mean, well, first off, January, we're just coming up on uh, one year anniversary. So we opened officially January of this past mm-hmm. year. So we were still a little bit under construction, but it was time to get the rest of the park open. I, I kind of joke that um, our chair, Lenny Lemoyne, mm-hmm. You know, he he told me one time. He said, "Look, we're we're building, we're adding on to a hospital, and we didn't take anybody out of the hospital to add on to the hospital." He said, "You're building a playground. Surely we can figure out how to open up the rest of the park to let people walk in the park, and we can be under construction with a playground." So that that was essentially the charge for the beginning of 2022. Was just go ahead and open up, open huh? up, let yeah. people come in, explore. There was plenty. You know, there's another. 95 other acres that people could enjoy Mm -hmm. and let's just keep at the beginning of the year keep keep the um cordoned off the side that was still under construction but it was right people were chomping at the bed just to walk yes you know just to get in there and enjoy this the the land so dogs and and um people and kids i mean that and i've had some uh moms tell me that like the best thing that happened at the beginning of the year was not opening the playground I was like, well, why is that? So my kids would never have enjoyed rolling down a hill, a hill <laughs> had it been if the playground had been open, they would have gone right to the playground. But is instead, that the best? so watching those kids, they right, just and they run up like it's no problem. It's a little tough for me to get up there, but they just run up and then roll down. Yeah, and it's I mean, precious. if you haven't been there, I mean, it's a well, we just don't have that kind of terrain, mm-hmm. so it's. 60 Rumor feet. has it, it's yeah. the highest point in Lafayette. So mm-hmm. 60 feet above sea level. Um, and the view is amazing. The The climate is almost different. I mean, I, you know, I spent time in Colorado, so we, we've summited lots of 14ers. But I say, well, you can summit the highest point in Lafayette, 60 feet off the ground. And it's great 360 view of mm-hmm. the entire front half of the park. 
Um, so that, that's just fun to just check it out and see how like you can be that far away from Johnston and, you know, it's kind of a different world. Right. Um, and there's fishing, people are out, mm-hmm. um, you know, fishing in our four acre lake and just enjoying the, you know, close to two miles of trails that we've got in the front half of the park. So, right. And it's so <clears throat> quiet and peaceful. I mean, I know during the events you've got the bands and all, but if you just go pretty much any time of day. It is just, it's yeah, just it, delightful to have that, that time in nature, but you're right in the middle of the heart of Lafayette. Right. It, I mean, and, and folks that folks that have been to the play area, don't, if you haven't even made it to the middle trees, you're like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. this is like, we're not, uh, you can't even see the playground from the amphitheater. So you really it's, can't, it's, uh, it's pretty you, you amazing. explore things. And I find if I walk one way and then I walk the opposite direction, it's like a new park almost there's so many things to see the beautiful flowers yeah the trees were you a part of all that was that part yes. of the, the operations you oversaw right so there's a couple couple different pieces so talking about you know what, what kind of came out of phase one was really like we said all that terraforming and then the landscaping so the large majority of the landscaping was part of that first phase of construction. And, and really the landscape architects were, that were part of that, the goal was native, native plants. So our uh, mm-hmm. grounds manager, Mark Hernandez, yeah. who some folks know from Saturday farmer's market as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just engaged lots of partners um, throughout the city. Lots of um, from, from master gardeners to the uh, Acadiana native plant um folks that just really understand what we've got going on out there, how we can maintain it, how we can get uh, volunteers and other people to help with that. So that's just been a, and, and I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention irises in the yeah. midst of all that. So right. over um, 7,000, um, 8,000, some irises, um, native irises out there around the park, which, you know, put that on the calendar for next April timeframe because it's just Gorgeous, and mm-hmm. they've done a ton of work to get that to a space where it's just, you know, we're in the midst of fertilizing right now, so it'll be ready to roll come yeah. next spring. But yeah, so that that's a, um, a piece of all the landscaping, and then trees, of course, too. And then this past year is really the second phase of construction has been much more about amenities mm-hmm. and elements and features and, and other things that folks can enjoy. So right. that's been a cra- that was a crazy story over the last two years yeah. to get to where we are right now. Yeah, for me it just seems <clears throat> and I know it's not overnight because you've been working on it, but to look at the the amphitheater that was underwritten, I know, by First Horizon and to have, if I read this right, that's got a capacity, that outdoor amphitheater for three thousand people, which is Phenomenal right. for a city like us, um, but the Veterans Memorial, um, the playground opening, the splash pad—all these things. Right. So I mean, here's the here's delightful the backstory of how that all sort of came to fruition, if you will. So I mean, it really started out, you know, when First Horizons uh, bought Iberia. Iberia had made the original um, pledge to put in an amphitheater and. Um, when that transition occurred, they said, you know, we really want to see this happen now. We want to just go ahead and, and have y'all get started on that. I said, okay, let's, <laughs> that was not on the original plan, but we added that to the list uh-huh. of construction. We had been talking. Um, well, you already had hammers and nails out there. <laughs> right. Go for it. Huh? Right. And we had been talking with um, Our Lady of Lords, and they, um, 
they have underwritten the water feature. So we had this idea of this water feature and it would be good if we could have a playground at the same time. And it was about the same time that Oshner came to town and um, acquired Lafayette General. And they said, you know what, we want to help out with the playground. And all in the background, the Savoie family, Rodney uh, Savoie has been on our board. He and his family have underwritten the treehouse. We said, well, with the treehouse, you know, it was designed by treehouse masters, Pete Nelson. But when, if you haven't seen it yet, it's like, you should think tree fort. You know, it's like, it's what you want to play in as a kid. It's not, you know, not those fancy tree houses with windows and indoor lighting that mm-hmm. you see on the TV show. But much more what I remember growing up is like, you got to get your buddies and hammer yeah. some two by fours and jump up there. But get it your is, binoculars. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's in it overlooking the play area between like the tree house mm-hmm. and the playground and the, um, the uh, water feature it is really pretty spectacular. And the, yeah. kind of the, the interesting little side story on the, um, the water feature is the designer of that water feature was a UL grad. Oh. Yeah. So Jim Garland um, graduated architecture from UL and has since become a water feature designer. His first project for his company called Fluidity was um, the Hilliard Water Wall um, oh, yeah. at the museum. Right. And that was, I, I'm going to just guess that was 20 ish years ago. It was before my... At the most. I don't know. I'm not quite sure when they opened, but yeah. So since then, he's had his hand in the Bellagio and lots of other big city Mm -hmm. water features. And and some folks say, well, that's a splash pad. I'm like, "Mm, we don't call it a splash pad because, you you know, splash pad sort of conjures up (laughs) certain images of like, you know, what you'd see in a park, you know, red, Mm -hmm. blue, green, there's like water, nothing wrong with a splash pad. But when Jim started working with us on this idea of a water feature, he said, I want this to be like a big city water fountain that's interactive that kids can play in, but we can't, can't just be any water fountain. It has to evoke the landscape of South Louisiana. And it's like, Oh, I just remember all those alligators and Mm -hmm. swamps. And so that's where the designers went with that. So we've got this theme with this 25 foot long alligator with um, Jets's ribs looking over a little P row and the Piro on the other side of the pad, it's got these ripples of waves and uh, that come off because, of course, the alligator's scaring the kids that are on the Piro, and they're shaking over there on the other side of the um, mm-hmm. the bayou. So that was sort of the the beginning launching point for everything with that whole play area. So we used the um, when we tore down the dilapidated red barn in the front, which I know some people were pretty sad about. Very, Super yeah. dangerous. Yeah. But we saved all the wood. Mm-hmm. So we took all that wood and used that to build the treehouse or the exterior of the treehouse. And then when we started working with the designers on the playground, said so we want this all to talk to each other. So we want to do a, sort of a natural um, yeah. play area that's got trees and, uh, you know, it has a, a, a nature-based theme, if you will. And we wanted it to be inclusive. So that's the whole rubberized surfacing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be they, uh, you know, anybody with limited mobility or wheelchair, it's easy to access. Yeah. So it really, they all kind of fit together. So it's super exciting. Yeah. And then the number one feature that everybody in the city asked for way back in the early days of planning the park was, are you going to have a restroom? So it's very thank important, goodness, JP. Yeah. And <laughs> especially thank goodness, with children. Thank goodness for um, you know our our uh, Acadiana delegation um, at the state level has done great work for us, and um, 
super supportive of the park and we were able to secure money mm-hmm. to, to get that, that taken care of. Not only the building itself, but like we were talking about before, the sewer lines and the yeah. water lines and everything else that made that right. to make that happen. Right, so. by all the playground and the um, water features right. and all that. We're better to have a restroom than right there in the Right, when you wall, get but. out of your car too and <laughs> right, walk in. Right across here. Well, I'm glad you brought up funding and our delegation. You know, my husband will ask me, we go walk there all the time, but he's like, you know, he'll ask, how did this come about? Who owns the park? How are they funding it? Where does the money come from? So we've talked about some private corporate donors. But if you could explain for us how the land was purchased and then how you're maintaining it and and building on from here so that people can understand. Yeah, that is not the simplest thing to understand by a long shot. So, you know, most people say, well, it's a park. So, you know, you just immediately conjure up, well, park must be owned by the parish, by the city. Mm -hmm. It's a public space. So we really are, we're a public-private partnership. And, you know, what we call ourselves as the nonprofit I work for is a park conservancy. And urban parks across the country, uh, bigger urban parks in, in, in many urban cities follow the same model. Okay. In various, there's a spectrum of models, but... Um, you know, at the end of the day, um, the city owns the land. Okay. Um, they purchased the land 10 years ago this past summer from UL. And as part of that, it was the, the plan had always been that there would be a nonprofit that would mm-hmm. basically maintain, design, build, operate the screen space for the citizens of Acadiana, for Lafayette in particular, but really for all of Acadiana. And if I may add on that point, we do have a parks and recreation system, but our tax is what we were collecting back in the 1960s. We don't have enough money for a park of this nature. And people think, why isn't that under LCG, our city government? But we, we can barely keep up with what we have. We just don't have an adequate tax base to, right. and, to and, buy and, it and run it. Right. And early and long before my time, when, when this, when the conversations really first started between mm-hmm. it was, uh, Joey Durrell was yeah. the mayor at the time and, and Dr. Savo had just become the university president, but the, the CFA, the community foundation of Acadiana had, was a big piece driving mm-hmm. factor in this too. And the, the decision was made early on. It's like, we don't want this, epic green space to ever have the problem of what happens when we need to cut a budget. You know, what happens is parks and recs is one of the first things that, you know, get to shut down or, or, you know, defund or, you know, just fund a little, whatever it may be. It's like, Mm -hmm. if we want to have an epic green space, we need to look at a different model. And when we looked around the country at other models, we see this model of park, uh, park conservancy all over the place. So, Mm The very first park conservancy was really New York City at Central, Central Park, park yeah. and that was in the 80s, not that long ago, really, mm. in the big scheme of things. But it's a destination for people from around the world. Right. Yeah. And, you know, whether whether it's um, Central Park in New York, Millennial in uh, Chicago, Piedmont in Atlanta, Memorial mm. um, in Houston, uh, City Park in New Orleans actually just this year transitioned to be a fully um, a full nonprofit park conservancy model. And so that gives us a lot of flexibility. I mean, there's some things, there's some pros and cons like there is in everything, mm-hmm. but one of the pros is it allows us to really run it, how run it like a business really to, to step out from, you know, kind of the city, um, 
infrastructure that's sort of the city process and say, how can we collaborate? How can we work together and create partnerships? You know, we're a partnership between the city and our nonprofit to support the public. But now we ask the question, how do we create partnerships to, to serve the people of Acadiana? And those could be partnerships with for-profit businesses. They could be partnerships with other nonprofits. So we've got all kinds of partnership models working or underway to, um, you know, really be the venue to be the launching point for, you know, the things that serve the park best, which from our standpoint really falls into three, I call three buckets or three pillars in our kind of our community engagement, community partnership world. So one is environmental education, you know, all things environment. I mean, obviously, like we've been talking about, that makes perfect sense. Right. Health and wellness. You were talking about going out there with your husband and walking. I'm like, health and wellness, and we all know in South Louisiana, we could stand some better outcomes. Yeah. And well, you know, healthy kids, Acadiana's out there on Saturdays, right? right? Running up and down that hill and kids racing the healthy around. Kid, you know, out the healthy kids running, and we've got mm-hmm. yoga classes mm-hmm. and all kinds of all fitness kinds of classes. All kinds of free classes, yeah. Right, so we got a yeah. lot going on in, in that space. And mm-hmm. then lastly, arts and culture. So for us, like you, you were talking about the amphitheater, I mean, that's a big launching point for things in arts and mm-hmm. culture for us, as well as the Veterans Memorial. So we just had a big... Uh, partnership with the Acadiana Veteran Alliance this past weekend and had right. a concert and, you know, really showcased our veterans uh, mm-hmm. memorial. How did that go? How did the day go? Well, it was a little cold. Yeah. We had, you know, the the strong and the few uh, made it mm-hmm. out. So, I mean, you know, that we, we talked about, hey, we all the things we could control, we controlled. What you can't control, yeah. welcome to being in a park. So yeah, in we, Louisiana, the yeah. show went on, but mm-hmm. um, you know there were just not not nearly as many people as we'd like to have seen out there. But hey, I get it. I would have been home eating gumbo too if I didn't have to right. be out there. But right. we enjoyed it nonetheless. So some money has come from government sources, both the city buying the land, and now it's being leased by your nonprofit right. organization right. for. 99 or is it 99 or 100 years? We have Uh a 99. So our, you know, that is our agreement, uh, which every public private partnership needs some kind of agreement to to exist. So ours is a lease with the city for the next night. Well, it's a 99 year lease. It it, it officially started when we broke ground with phase one, which was in 2018. Okay. So we have a few years less than 99 at this point, but you know, it's the long view. We're definitely taking the long Mm -hmm. view of we're going to be around for a while. Um, so everyone can enjoy it and their kids and their grandkids and everyone beyond that to mm-hmm. be, to, to be part of it. But to your point about the, the income and the money streams, the city bought the land. Um, that is correct. And then since then the city financially has not really been involved. I mean, there's no millage. There's no, I mean, we're not part of the parks and recs uh, mm-hmm. budget in any way, which is, which is hard for people to understand. So that's been a, that's been a messaging, um, piece for us for this last year. And I, and I suspect that'll always be part of our messaging is to help mm-hmm. people understand that. Um, and then we are getting a little, we are getting money from state capital outlay. So at the state level, and that's really for capital projects, right? right? Not so, for maintenance and not operations. Not for ongoing maintenance yeah. and operations. So mm-hmm. that helped, that built the um, the restroom. And the next big project that we'll be working on, start kicking off next year, will be our farmer's market um the whole farmer's market area, farmer's okay. market pavilion. So yeah. that will use, again, because of the 
amount of infrastructure mm-hmm. that's involved, both electrical and water and, and, and roadways. So mm-hmm. that'll all be part of a, um, a bigger project using state funds. I know there's been buzz about mm-hmm. your success drawing people in and then the parking issues. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, I know that it's been controversial because people, you don't have to pay to go to the park. But there is a charge for parking on site. If you can talk about that, I know that's supposed to be going for operations and maintenance. And it, it, but if you can explain that and and maybe some future hopes for more parking, because you're highly successful with yeah, your events, yeah, that, you know. So that that is a re- I mean that was a that's a tough message, mm-hmm. but I mean certainly part of that is to help people understand that. Um, it is a free park, and our one income stream is two dollars an hour parking, um, which you know we look at other other cities or other parks in other cities around the country, and um, you know people charge a lot more than that. But you know we're we're moving into the city mentality from you know really a suburban or even like a rural country mentality of like that would just not something that you need to think about. Um, for us, it's definitely a revenue stream that supports buying the chlorine tablets and the toilet paper and keeping the restrooms clean and the gas for the lawnmowers and in the crew to cut the grass. So there's just a lot of operational expenses to maintain 100 acres. And the goal has always been, you know, best in class, world class, you know, a destination that people are proud of. And, you know, we're... We're trying to use all the sustainable methods and as many volunteers as we can, but they're just they're just projects and things that need to get done that of course. they take money, right? right. So um, we have a lot of different streams that we were, are working towards. Um, certainly what everyone has known to date has really been big donor fundraising. Mm-hmm. It's named Monkus Park after Jim Monkus made the lead gift, a huge uh, philanthropist in all of Acadiana, as most folks know. Um, but at the, at the more, and those major gifts have been to help with big construction projects in naming, um, big naming, big projects. We talked about Oshner and Lafayette General and Our Lady of Lords Regional Medical Center, First Horizons. Um, but on the day-to-day operations, it's really more of a community effort. Right, so parking is one component of that. Another one is uh, we call it Friends of the Park, but it, it's really our membership program. Right. And you know that there's two ways to think about that. One is it's all it's it's our park. It's everyone in Acadiana. It's our park. I mean, how can you support that? You could you give twenty five dollars a year. You give a hundred dollars a year. Whatever mm-hmm. whatever works for you financially. And there's some benefits. I mean, you get some free parking. Right. Um, by being a member. So, you know, but you could also just think about it as like my tax dollars are not supporting this asset in the middle of the city. So how could I contribute? Mm-hmm. Um, another way is when we have we have a couple what we call signature events throughout the year, which are kind of bigger produced events. Last year we tried twelve days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. This year we're going to do three days of Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that, so that Christmas event will be free to the public to come. But if you want to park on site. It'll be ten dollars. If you want to have a sleigh ride, that'll. Co- if you want to get your picture with Santa, that'll. Co- if you want to buy a, uh, you know, a beer or wine or a soda, that'll mm-hmm. cost. So, not so much different than how uh, we keep festival free. Kind of the same 
same kind of story. Like there are, there are little revenue streams that we're looking for to help support that. But you know what we always joke about, like you get keep festival free because you might go see a concert where it costs money, but to keep a park free, like, well, I can go to another park in town and and it is free. So it is the continual messaging of, you know, we all need to chip in and, um, and, and, you know, and chipping in for some people means financially for other people. It's like they can give their time. Mm-hmm. I saw that you can sign up as a volunteer, volunteer opportunities. Yeah. And we're really going to be pushing that even more uh-huh. next year. So, so if you're a gardener or yes. if you love dogs, like there's all kinds of opportunities for different types of volunteers. If you right. want to go weed, you can do that. If you want to be a dog ambassador, I, right. mean, there, I it, didn't realize you had, you were looking for volunteers. Right. And, and, or, or if you, if you, if you like volunteering at something like festival international or festival Acadia, when we have one of our events, you mm-hmm. could come out and help with, you know, selling beer or parking or, or whatever, or just mm-hmm. some guest services work. So, you know, be it at an event or just horticulturally or, you mm-hmm. know, a, it, like you said, like the dog park. So the dog park is an interesting story there too, because you know, we wanted to have a dog park that's well-maintained and, you know, dog owners feel safe taking their dog off a mm-hmm. leash, which is a, is, be is a consideration yeah. because you don't know what, who, what, what, where the other dogs are that are off leash too. Um, so we, we had a committee and this is another opportunity that folks came from the community, both mm-hmm. um, some of the shelters as well as some veterinarians and informed our decision-making around that. Basically, we had a working group that said, you know, we looked at best practices. We talked to experts and said, how could we do this? How mm-hmm. should we do this? Mm-hmm. And what came out of that was it should be a permitted dog park. We don't have a large fee, but just enough of a fee to kind of put some skin in the game. Right. And the skin in the game is really give us your vet records mm-hmm. so that we know that your dog has been vaccinated, spayed right. or neutered. And when your dog is off the leash with another dog off the leash of this relative same size, even mm-hmm. you're in a good space. Um, you know, so right now the space or the size deals, you know, we do alternating days, big dog, small dog. Okay. We're in the midst of building, getting ready to build a second dog park. So Bob Giles was generous with the park, right? I'm, right. I'm so the two moving. big two. So we had the Pinhook, the Pinhook Foundation, and Bob owners. Giles' uh-huh. family um, have been. They've both been super supportive of uh-huh. animals. So we'll end up with two dog parks: mm-hmm. the small dog park, which will ultimately be for little dogs. Right now, it alternates, and then once we build the dog expand dog park mm-hmm. expansion dog run, which folks that are familiar with the space, it'll be between the two bridges right along the coulee, close to the playground, Mm -hmm. will be for the big dogs. It kills me how our pets really run the show. (laughs) I hadn't flown in several years since before COVID. I recently flew with my best friend. We went to celebrate our birthdays. And I was in the airport, and they had, like, dog parks and stuff. Is that something? I didn't see a park for children, though. (laughs) But there was a place to bring your dog. dog, And I, I met a few dogs in the airport, and I thought... What what is this world coming to? But they love us no matter what, you know. So there's I know you want to take some care unconditional of them. Love there, yeah, isn't you there? want to take care of them at the park also. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about we're taping this at holiday time. It's not um, Thanksgiving yet, but I know in Christmas you have a lot of things coming up, and it looked like it was starting December sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth with Christmas in the park that you were talking about. That's right. You have some well known. 
uh, bands that that will be performing out there. Right. So we're going to, so it's going to be, um, you know, kind of think about it in two ways. One, there'll there'll be something to do for folks that love music or Mm -hmm. love the holidays and want to come out and celebrate, but there'll also be plenty of kids activities too. So it's a little bit of both. So the big performers for the, um, for the three nights we've got um, opening will be Chubby Carrier mm-hmm. on the on the Friday night. Uh, Gerald Grunig, who's on um, TV 10, KLFY, he's got his own little band. He comes out and does a lot of our emceeing, mm-hmm. so he'll be out there with his band on Saturday and then Wayne Toops on Sunday. That's awesome. And then we'll also have an opening act, which we're still working through the details, but the goal there is to use either high school choirs or some oh. local... Um, local talent, if you will, that mm-hmm. to do Christmas carols oh. um, so that we really can get into the holiday spirit yeah. around the whole, um, the entertainment piece. Mm-hmm. And then in the kids zone over by the play area, we'll also have some kids activities. So we're working again, working with community partners to um, mm-hmm. activate the kids activities with some free, free things for the kids to do. And of course, Santa will be there probably in the tree house, you know, you have to go up into the tree house to see Santa. Um, and then food trucks and, and, um, Mm -hmm. we're looking to hopefully roast some marshmallows and, um, you know, have some, um, other spirits and, um, Right. Have a good time. Right. And then I, I love this, the teddy bear tea. I know on December 17th, you have two seatings, and we used to take our girls to New Orleans, you know, to the right. Roosevelt, but right. this looks like it's going to be a nice tea. Right. So we did, last year was the first year we tried that, so we're mm-hmm. going to do that again. We had uh-huh. huge success last yeah. year. So Where's tra- that going to be? It's definitely create a little tradition. So that'll mm-hmm. be in the park at the top of the amphitheater. Okay. Last year, same kind of model. We'll have a huge tent. So we'll have a big 100-foot-long um, dining hall tent in case the weather's yeah. a little bit inclement um, mm-hmm. for the nighttime events. But we want to, while we have that tent, we also want to uh, leverage that and okay. use that during the day. So we'll, Mrs. Claus and Santa and their helpers will all mm-hmm. be there. And so people need to little, start registering for that now. Right, that's already, we're selling tickets on yeah, our website right that. now at uh, monkuspark.org. You can go and get mm-hmm. your tickets for the Teddy Bear Tea. And then on Sunday, we're also doing, uh, so Saturdays, um, I guess moms and dads and grandparents with their kids. And then mm-hmm. Sunday is a little bit geared to, you know, I'd say maybe more of a young adult, mm-hmm. um, no kid, not necessarily a kid crowd, but uh, a murder, you've mystery. heard of a murder mystery dinner. Yeah. So we're doing a murder mystery brunch. Called Mistletoe and mystery brunch. Who killed Santa? I know. This I is sad. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. hopefully Santa comes back. Yeah, he always does. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, a mystery. And then uh, movies at Moncus Park. I saw the Brant Sherman firm is underwriting that. And that's, is that... Uh, so that that's a couple days outdoor, later. So that's yeah. another outdoor. So we'll have... December 21st. Um, and that we did that last year as well. So I just heard today, um, we put that out to a vote. And it looks like... The Grinch is the winner. So awesome. we're going to do the Grinch movie, mm-hmm. the one with Jim Carrey, evidently. And then um, we'll also, we'll kick the night off with, um, I believe, Wonderland uh, Performing Arts. They're in the shopping center right behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to come out and lead us in some Christmas carols. So we'll have Christmas carols yeah. um, a couple days before Christmas, and um, then we'll all get to watch a movie. So people can not only make family memories but support the park 
Right. So all know. these opportunities are, like you said, not only come out, enjoy, have the festivities and uh, do something different and build some memories, but also it's an opportunity to, like you said, I mean, that's just one more of our our streams. Uh, you know, thankfully, we've got some great sponsors that help um, underwrite the overall program, but then there's opportunities for um, all the folks that come out there to uh, help, mm-hmm. you know, with the, for the park right. for our budget for next year. Right. I think the more that people use it, they're going to see the, you know, the, the private opportunities to partner with you. And I wanted to get in Steve Orlando and his family. We were talking about the 60 foot mound, but his family, I know yes. got involved to celebrate yeah. that. So it's been great. It's so a great, um, great family. Right. So the, um, Orlando Mountain mm-hmm. is what we've now named the mound. And he the, lives right the there. Mount. He lives yeah. right behind the park. Uh-huh. Um, we just did, um, Cystic Fibrosis had a great strides uh, walk run out there for all their uh, families. He's He and his family have been part of that over the years as well. He's got a granddaughter that uh, has cystic fibrosis, but he's doing great. And um, he just really is a huge supporter of the park and said, hey, I want to help out. And, you know, I'm just excited to be a, n- a neighbor. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just fun to have him He's part of the whole process. Guy. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to bring up that I haven't asked? Well, I think we had a pretty wide ranging conversation. I mean, the the whole park conservancy model is like, check, check that out. I mean, people around the country are following this model and are having great success with it. So for... La, the, a, a city the size of Lafayette to be going down this path. I mean, it's really some forward thinking to say that this can work in a in a place like Lafayette. So, I mean, for me, that's really exciting to see this kind of model being employed here in our in our city. And I was, you and I were together last night at uh, one Acadiana's vibrant Acadiana and talking about what do we need to do for the quality of life in the mm-hmm. city and how do we make it even better than it is? Because obviously we, we all think it's pretty darn good. That's why we're here. Um, but a big part of that is attracting and retaining talent. How do we get young people want to be here and stay here and stay? Well, a, a place like having a big hundred acre park in the middle of town, yeah. being able to go to the farmer's market on Saturday morning get some food, get your veggies, and then go for a walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's pretty awesome. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be part of this uh, process, and I definitely just consider myself as just one more, one more piece of the, uh, one more facilitator in helping make this all happen. But if it weren't for our board, yeah. if it weren't for our donors, if it weren't for the city, if it weren't for all the volunteers that we have, all of our sponsors, I mean, this just doesn't happen. It could have just been built right over as another mall or, you know, right. uh, business park or something. So we're very lucky. And I'm glad you brought up Lenny Lemoyne, who had chaired the board. And he's being honored tonight at the Civic Cup. But really the forward-thinking board that you've worked with, with our civic leaders, you know, Joey Durrell when he was president, um, mayor president, President Joe Savoy, all these people, as you said, really have made this happen. So kudos to you, though, and your team that are well, working well, to thanks. see their, yeah, their vision come we're, forth. We're trying to, we're, we're definitely keeping it moving forward. Um, but I mean, the, the board has been a huge help. And I mean, yeah, definitely tri- big tribute to um, Lenny Lemoyne tonight with the 90th um, mm-hmm. 
anniversary of the Civic Cup, so well-deserved. And I mean, he's done a lot of work behind the scenes to, uh, to get us to where we are, for sure. And, and you know, you mentioned earlier, EB, I mean, tireless hours, mm-hmm. um, you know, years. it's my pre- – Years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, year years um, um, behind the scenes. So um, I feel – I'm honored to to walk in her footsteps, and and you know over the two years I was you know part of the park with her. I mean I learned a lot in terms of um, what she's bringing brought to the table and and where the park is because of her foresight. Right. right. Well, JP McFadden, I want to <laughs> executive director of Moncas Park. I want to thank you for your time today. I'm honored to be able to get to know you. Thank you for what you're doing for our city. Well, we thanks, all appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> And I want to thank our listeners. Thank you for your loyal support. Uh, if you haven't already, please consider subscribing to Discover Lafayette wherever you get your podcast. And you can visit our website, discoverlafayette.net, to hear JP's. You know, after you listen to this, there's about 290 other interviews. I've been very lucky to have this running for about five and a half years. So thank you for your support. We couldn't do this without our generous sponsors. I want to thank Home Bank. Lafayette Surgical Specialty Hospital, Facet Group, and of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it sound so professional. Thank you all for supporting Discover Lafayette. This is Jan Swift. <laughs>